apparently uh, elect, elected to uh, um, a position there. And we'll find out. We'll, we'll figure it out, uh, I, I trust, and, and uh, sometime. But anyway, um, the thing is, is that it doesn't matter which president we have there, two things about it. One, we need to be praying for whoever is in that position. Uh, whether you, you like the person or not, <laughs> we need to be praying. And uh, lift that person up in prayer, uh, praying for our country, of course, too. But also, we need to make sure that uh, uh, we remember that God is in control. <laughs> God is in control, doesn't matter who's in that position, President. God's the one who guides and directs. Our trust is in him, not in a person in the presidency. So a couple things to keep in mind uh, as you go through this week and uh, <laughs> anticipate, I guess, the final vote count and everything else. But uh, just keep those things in mind. Well, I don't know about you, but music has been something that has helped me in a lot of different situations. Whether it's uh, uh, enjoying a time of, uh, you know, good times or whether it's getting through difficult times. Maybe music has played a key role in, in your life as well in a lot of ways. Possibly, too, you, you are reminded of a lot of things when you uh, listen to certain songs and such. But music has been something that has uh, uh, been needed for me throughout this wonderfully packed year of surprises. We've, we've uh, watched this unfold for us, and it just doesn't seem to stop <laughs> this year. But uh, And now I'm already in the Christmas music mode, and I have no apologies for it. Uh, I'm listening to Christmas music because, you know what, <laughs> that's good news, and I, we need that, and I need it too. But I can tell you how it's just incredible listening to some of the songs, how uplifting it is. Um, be able to listen to uh, uh, a dose of Nat King Cole singing the Christmas song, or maybe also, too, Bing Crosby singing White Christmas. Just uh, the feeling that comes over you, just going, ah, this is nice. This is good. But we'll see what 2020 has to offer for our Christmas time, too. But anyway. But deep into the Great Depression in 1929, people needed a bright, uplifting song as well. It came in 1933, and it was called We're in the Money. And it became extremely popular. People were singing, we're in the money, we're in the money. We've got a lot of what it takes to get along. We're in the money. The sky is sunny. Old man depression, you are through. You done us wrong. Unfortunately, though, about six years later, the sky became dark when Adolf Hitler plunged Europe into World War II. And soon... America was in the thick of the fray. A, a rush of, of money may not always rush the beneficiaries into prolonged happiness or keep them from trouble. No matter how much money comes raining down upon us, uh, sometimes the troubles don't go away. or They kind of get worse. In fact, there was a study done in the United States and the UK about receiving inheritance. Very interesting study. They found that those who have received an inheritance between zero, I don't know who would ever be thankful for that, but zero through $75,000, then there was a strong uh, uh, connection between the money and happiness. So that, that, was, that was very strong. 
inheritances between 75,000 and 250,000, there was no connection between the money and happiness. And then anything above $250,000 in in inheritance, it actually, the money detracted from their happiness. Very interesting study. And so the sociologist, uh, a sociologist said, money is like fire. It will warm your feet or it will burn your socks off. (laughs) And so that's probably what this study was looking at too, how money can cause you to, you know, it might bring a little bit of satisfaction and happiness, but, you know, too much of it, you're going to be in trouble because there will be worries and concerns and everything else. But if, if success hands us a windfall, our lives may change dramatically, but not necessarily for the best unless we exercise good sense about our dollars. And that's what we're going to be looking at today in, a, in the message of one of the fault lines in uh, uh, the Neff's book about success. So let me share with you a couple of observations about this fault line of wealthy success. First of all, wealth is fragile. Wealth is fragile. <clears throat> in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, it says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, Paul commanded Timothy here to, and warned the rich in this present world not to put their hope in wealth. He wrote that wealth is so uncertain. And the Bible doesn't teach that it is wrong to be wealthy. We want to make sure everybody understands that. It's not wrong to be wealthy. Money is not evil. A lot of people get that verse wrong. Money is not The love of money is the root of all evil. So those who are wealthy should not put their trust in riches, of course. But we all know a person can be in the money one day, but out of money the next day. it's, It's so fragile. Wealth is so fragile. But riches are very uncertain. The stock market um, may drop like a rock. Uh, Who knows how it's going to react after the president and everything else. But uh, the value of the dollar may plunge to an all-time low. Unexpected medical expenses may exhaust your finances. Someone might uh, have an accident with a paper cutter with their finger. Who knows? You know, expenses might come. Any number of factors may shrink or sink the wealth a, pers- a rich person considers a security blanket. So if you are considering wealth to be a security blanket, uh, think again. <laughs> think again. Riches are so uncertain. Another thing about this is, as well is that riches don't accompany us beyond the grave. Now, that's like holding up a football in front of a football team and saying, this is a football. We should already know that. <laughs> we should all- riches do not accompany us beyond the grave. It's kind of a no-duh, but sometimes we forget. Um, There is a parable that Jesus shared in Luke chapter 12. And it's about the farmer. Let me read it to you. Chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. And so Jesus told him this parable. He said, The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. 
Then he said, this is what I'll do. Uh, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Now, Jesus told this parable about a farmer, a farmer who became rich due to a, a superabundant harvest. And he planned to tear down his old barns and build new ones to accommodate this huge crop. Now, feeling that he was suddenly in the money, he told himself he had plenty of good things for a bright future. He would sit back, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But that night, God demanded the farmer's life, and he asked the farmer, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The rich man, the rich man in Jesus' story, died before he could begin to use what was stored in his big barns. Planning for retirement, preparing for life before death, is wise. It's wise to do that. But neglecting life after death is disastrous. So if you're just paying attention to what you can do to be able to retire on, and that's the only thing you do, uh, you need to wake up. Because you also, too, need to prepare for that life after death. If you accumulate wealth only to benefit yourself, with no concern for helping others, you will enter eternity empty-handed. So why do you save money? Why is money saved? Are you saving for retirement? Is it to buy more expensive cars or toys? Is it to be secure, that security blanket? Jesus challenges us to think beyond earthbound goals and to use what we have been given for God's kingdom, for, his, for God's faith and, and service and, and, and obedience. Our, our faith and our service and our obedience to God is what we need to be doing those are the ways become rich toward God. So we don't need to rely upon our riches, but we need to rely upon our faith and service and obedience become rich toward him. In verse 15, before this parable that Jesus spoke of, in verse 15, he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus says that the good life has nothing to do with being wealthy. So be on guard against greed, uh, the desire for what we don't have. <laughs> this is the exact opposite of what society usually says, right? Just watch, just watch the advertisements on TV, and we're able to get past the political stuff right now, so that's th I'm thankful for that. But now here comes all the Christmas stuff, right? <laughs> buy this, buy that, get these things. Um, they, they try to entice us to think that if we buy more and more of their products, we will be happier, we will be more fulfilled, more comfortable. How do you respond to the constant pressure to buy? And maybe you just turn off the advertisements. Maybe you just don't look at the newspaper ads or stuff like that. I don't know. But we need to learn to, to tune out expensive enticements and, and concentrate instead on the truly fulfilled life, and that is living in a relationship with God and doing his work. That's what should be going on. 
That's what we should be focusing on. Again, having money is not evil. What you do with it, though, is, is, what, is, is the question. So have you known people like this farmer in the, in the parable, stocking up all this stuff and then not able to use it? Gold, gold is their god. Greed is their creed. <laughs> when they die, they leave everything behind. And I'm reminded of the saying that no U-Haul can carry their wealth and possessions into eternity. There's no U-Hauls in heaven. All your stuff stays here. Riches don't accompany us beyond the grave. So wealth is fragile. Wealth is fragile. The second observation I want to give here today is also too is that stewardship is essential. Stewardship is essential. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the first two verses says, So then men ought to, be, to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. We must prove faithful in what we are doing with what God has entrusted to us. So stewardship is essential. God has entrusted us with some material assets. There are some things that God has entrusted us with. Whether we have a little, whether we have a lot, everything we possess is a gift from God. The psalmist wrote, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The Psalm 103, verse 2. And every day should be Thanksgiving Day as we recognize God as the source of all we have and thank him humbly for all the benefits. David's praise in Psalm 103 focused on God's glorious deeds. And it's easy to complain about life. It's easy to look at life and go, wow, this is tough. Wow, this is hard. Wow, this didn't go my way. And we start complaining. But David's list gives us plenty to praise God for. He, in Psalm 103, God forgives our sins. He heals our diseases. <clears throat> he redeems us from death. He crowns us with love and compassion. He satisfies our desires. And he gives righteousness and justice. That's what God does. If you want to find out what you're grateful for or thankful for and be able to give a note to Stephanie, check on Psalm 103. That will be something that you'd be able to uh, use in your letter writing for that. We receive all of these without deserving any of them. God is so gracious. So no matter how difficult your life may be, you can always count your blessings. You can count their ble your blessings from the past and present and the future to come. God's going to be blessing you in. When you feel as though you have nothing to praise God about, you've got to go back to Psalm 103 and read David's list. It'll, it'll get you in the right perspective. Now, we may be tempted also with our finances to think that 10% of our income belongs to God and the remaining 90% belongs to us. It's all ours to do whatever we want to do with, right? But that thinking is unfounded. It's not found anywhere in Scripture. 100% of what God has given us is His. <laughs> it's His. We are simply the stewards of what is His. Our houses, our cars, our money, even our lives belong to him. We are not our own. As 1 Corinthians chapter 6 speaks of, we were bought at a great price. So God has entrusted us with material assets. 
Also, too, God requires us to be faithful stewards. God requires us to be faithful stewards. If you remember the parable of the talents in Matthew and Luke, Gospel of Matthew and Gospel of Luke, talks there about how uh, uh, the master came to buy the money among his servants according to their abilities. Uh, no one received more or less than he could handle. If he failed in an assignment, his excuse couldn't be that he was overwhelmed. <laughs> Failure would indicate only laziness or hatred toward the master. And the bags of gold in this parable, in the parable of the talents uh, could represent any kind of resource we are given. It could, be, it could be the time that God gives us. It could be gifts that he's, uh, talents that he's gifted us with. Um, other resources as well according to our abilities. And he expects us to invest them wisely until he returns. Now we are responsible to use, uh, use well what God has given us. The issue isn't how much we have, but how well we use what we have. Steve Deneff in his book says, to be faithful then does not mean to produce more, but to invest in something the master believes in, in something the master will do when he returns. When you read that parable of talents, it's not because you know, that third servant got you know, thrown out. It wasn't because he, he didn't earn anything like the others. It's that he didn't go along with what the master believed in. He hid his, his, his talents. You know, and here's what I, you know, you gave me this, this is what you have, here, here you go, I didn't do anything with it. That's like us receiving salvation and going, well, you know, I didn't do anything with it, but you know, here I am. We should be doing something with what God has given us in his work, whether it's our, our finances, uh, the giftedness that he's, he's given us, be able to do that for his glory and for his work. You know, look at them, all those three, the three servants in that parable, uh, they were all on a, foul, a fault line, as Steve Ness describes in his book. Uh, they all, all, all of them had their income increased. All of them started with a tremendous advantage. All of them were told to put this to work, the, the talents that they were given. And, uh, and then they went in opposite directions. Two got better, one got worse, but they all were never the same. The two that got better, they were never the same. The one that got worse was never the same. So that's why success can be a fault line. We're not going to be said we could be better or we could be worse because of that situation. Good fortune came to these servants. And you can see the contrast between the two servants and the one servant. For the two servants, the good fortune was an advantage receiving those talents. That was an advantage. But then the one servant, it was like bad luck. Oh, great. I got this now. Wonderful. The two servants looked at it as an opportunity. The one servant looked at, looked at it as an obligation. I have to do something with this, these talents that, that this master has given me. The two servants looked at the good fortune as a leverage. They're going to leverage it for something even better. But the, the one servant looked at, at it and said, I'm going to protect it. I'm not going to do anything with it. I'm just going to protect it so nothing happens to it. One was, uh, the two was motivated by favor, and the one was motivated by fear. And as we look at success and wealth, that's kind of the fault line. That's the fault line there. That third servant was torn between two evils, the obligation to earn more 
or the fear of losing what he had. And maybe you find yourself in that situation with maybe your possessions, or maybe your fi- finances, and, and you, you have a tendency to fall into that. Watch out for that. Because neither should it be an obligation, and neither should we be fearful of losing what we have if we consider everything God has given us is his anyway. And if he wants to do something with it, like take it away or even increase it, that's up to him. But we need to be faithful for what he's given us to do his work, to to advance his kingdom. But that third servant buried it. He couldn't handle the pressure that comes with being favored. It was too much, too much stress, too much anxiety going on. Steve Neff in his book, he says, wouldn't it be better to give both obligation and fear back to the master? (laughs) Wouldn't it be better? After all, the reason we've been favored in the first place is not simply so we can share in the master's work, but so that we can share in his happiness. Did you you, take a look at that that parable? He doesn't say, good job, welcome, you can share in my work now. He said, no, no, well done, good faithful servant, share in my happiness and the joy. And Stephen F. continues, he says, perhaps he wants us to share not just the load, but the joy that comes with doing the master's work. This is a fundamentally different kind of master. So you might ask, why was the king so hard on that third servant? Because he threw him out. Threw him out. That third servant that didn't, hadn't increased the money. You think about it, he punished that, that third servant because he didn't share his master's interest in the kingdom. He didn't trust his master's intentions. He hid, that, he hid the money, he hid the talents. And his only concern was for himself. I don't want to get in trouble. I, I don't want to look bad. And finally, he did nothing to use the money. Just left it there. Nothing, did nothing with it. Like the king in this story, the master in the story, God has given us gifts to use for the benefit of the kingdom. So the question for us is, do you want the kingdom to grow? (laughs) Do you trust God to govern it fairly as far as your finances and, and, and giftedness that he's given you? Are you as concerned for others' welfare as you are for your own? Are you willing to use faithfully what he has entrusted to you? We have been given excellent resources to build and expand God's kingdom. Jesus expects us to use these talents so that they multiply and the kingdom grows. And he asks each of us to account for what we do with his gifts. While waiting for Christ's return, we must do his work. Be busy about God's kingdom. So the question comes to us, can God trust us to invest what he has given us to serve his purposes? Can God trust us? We are not free to waste what he has entrusted to us. A faithful steward will support the gospel at home and abroad. Now, think about it. When you place, place money in a bank, we expect the bank to guard it faithfully and pay interest on the balance. The interest might be very minimal, of course, but we would certainly be disappointed, if not outraged, if we submitted a withdrawal slip and we're told our balance was zero because the bank's president used our money to help him pay for a Caribbean cruise. 
we would be outraged. It wasn't in our interest. We did not want that to happen. That wasn't our plan for those gifts, for those talents, for that money. In the same way, we should faithfully guard and gain interest for God on what he has entrusted to us. What is it that God has entrusted to you? What do you have that God can use in your life to, to further his kingdom? And, you know, it would be fine to take a cruise if that's what God wants us to do. But it would be shameful to squander what he has given us. God requires us to be faithful stewards. And may God find us faithful in that. So sudden success is a fault line in our lives. Are we getting better or are we getting worse because of it? And, and it can shake up our lives. It can be a blessing or it can be a curse. And if we find ourselves in the money, as that song says, let's humbly accept our good fortune as a stewardship and faithfully use it for God's glory. And it doesn't have to be a whole bunch. It doesn't have to be a whole bunch of financial blessing. It doesn't have to be a whole bunch of of giftedness. Whatever God gives you, what are you doing with that to further his kingdom? And when we have that perspective of, uh, of, of the talents in our lives, financial success in our lives, then we're on the right track of being used by God in an incredible way. I'm going to have Annie and Becky come on up. They're going to lead us in one last song. This next song will hopefully encourage us to keep going. Yes, it's been difficult. Yes, we've had some tough times. But you've got to remember that God is with us through it all. He will help us through those situations. He is the one we need to trust.